Okay, that's good enough. <laughs> We're good enough, Danny. We're good enough. Everyone, welcome back. <laughs> I, wink, I winked at him. I just threw him off. You know. I missed it. You'll, hey, you'll get on camera. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Rick and Danny show. Uh, we are here in studio in the, what did, did we have a the official? Podloft. Podloft, obviously, Podloft. yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's the official name. Yeah. Until we, gonna, we come up with something better. Or we we gonna haven't li- come up with something better. Yeah. But I thought we were going to let the listeners decide. Oh, that's a good point. Because you've proven now multiple that we times have that listeners. we have listeners. All right. Thank you for acknowledging. Have we had any emails come in? No. With name <laughs> ideas? That's no. embarrassing. No. Well, we've renamed it, so that is null and void. That yeah. Name okay. All right. But, but they, they still know still, our Twitter handle. They and can our... still come up with something, yeah. Danny, you got a smile on your face. I do have a joke. I told Brenna that I uh, have been memorizing my jokes lately, so I'm going to throw one just off the cuff here. If you memorized it, then it can't be off the cuff. Well, it's going to seem off the cuff. Oh, but... I'm not cutting any of this out. This is all going to be... No, it's perfect. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, ad-lib for me, Danny. All right. <laughs> Got to be perfect for Rick here. <laughs> Rick, do you know where I store my dad jokes? I have an answer, but I don't think I'm allowed to say it on the podcast. In my database. <laughs> it's not bad. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. That was solid. Thank you. That was a good a one. Solid. It's a good B plus. I do have two today, but I'm going to save the one for, for later. Idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys. So I think one of the things that happened recently is ASCO, which is sort of the biggest oncology conference in the United States held every year. Chicago, Danny, your old stomping grounds. Old stomping grounds. I used to go when I was there every year, which was nice. It's about um, on the usually on the south side of the city, big conference center. People come from all over the world, you know, for the conference. There's usually um, kind of late breaking abstracts, and you know, at the end of the conference, they announce the big trial data stuff that's like groundbreaking, going to change practice the way we treat our patients so i think they call it the plenary session plenary makes you feel all fancy it is yeah it is no it's crazy i mean i went a couple years and it's i couldn't get over the size and scope of it you know it's like several hundred seat auditoriums filled at once all giving different talks and like you said for the plenaries it's thousands of people Mm -hmm. so it's kind of crazy uh but you know it's kind of where usually at least each year there's at least a handful of studies that get talked about or initial results talked about that potentially could be practice changing. Um, you know, obviously we should wait and see till full papers come out, uh, before we make practice changes. But was there anything this year that caught your eye? I mean, I know of a few that got a lot of national non-medical media attention, but can you touch on, I think with the one that, yeah, the, the medoc side of things. So, um, one of the trials that got reported and it was a you almost never see this. It was a small trial um, for rectal cancer. So patients with localized rectal cancer, I think they included just stage two and stage three uh, disease. So that's either a rectal cancer that's growing just you know within the wall of the rectum or um, possibly involving lymph nodes near the rectum. And the standard of care for the way we treat these patients normally is doing um, chemo and radiation. And then now sometimes we're even giving chemotherapy prior to chemo and radiation treatment. And then that's followed by surgery, um, to remove any residual cancer. 
So the trial that got reported was a, a subset of patients with stage two and stage three rectal cancer, and they only included 16 patients in the trial. And it was, um, I think only 12 patients got on the study and it was using a new PD-1 inhibitor, which is an immunotherapy drug given IV, um, something that's not FDA approved for, for rectal cancer. And I think it might have an FDA approval for endometrial cancer. I'm not 100% sure on that, but we don't use it for any other cancer type. So it's, it's a new drug that really doesn't have a lot of indications, but an, another drug like it, Keytruda and, and Opdivo are, are drugs that target the same protein. And what they did was they took these patients and they screened them for a condition called um, microsatellite instability, or uh, another way of saying it is mismatch repair protein deficiency. So not Elon Musk satellite? No, no, no not kind, Elon. Different kind. Okay, got it. Remember, you got to talk we're, to me. I'm we're, slow. We're so going gotta... to stay on track here. Right? Okay, sorry, no. sorry. Uh, so these are patients with specific genetic mutations in the tumor cells that... Uh, lead to um, really more mutations and instability of the DNA and usually leads to uh, a better response to immunotherapy. We actually use this condition called microsatellite uh, instability um, in patients with metastatic disease and, and treat them with immunotherapy for patients with uh, metastasized rectal and colon cancers. You can use immunotherapy but this is kind of a novel approach to use immunotherapy for patients with um, this genetic change in, in an earlier stage of the disease before it metastasizes. So they enrolled um, 12, well, 16 patients, 12 of them got treated, six months of IV immunotherapy before any radiation was given, before any surgery was done. And the uh, unbelievable result was that all 12 of those patients had a complete response, meaning you couldn't see any residual cancer left over. Um, and I think they did uh, exams. So they, you know, did um, an endoscopic exam to make sure that there was no tumor left over and did some random biopsies yeah, and I gonna, imaging. I, I couldn't find the information on the random biopsies. They did do random biopsies? I, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I, in, it got published in the New England yeah, Journal, yeah. and there were kind of pictures of their endoscopy right. um, images. Yeah. I assume that they did. I, I, would, I think. would hope yeah. that that Usually you tat they t the GI docs will tattoo it or the surgeon will tattoo it. And right. If it regresses, you still, you know, can biopsy the area. So I think the way they, you know, performed the study from there was anyone in complete <laughs> remission where you didn't have any residual cancer could be um, just under surveillance. And, and I don't think any of those patients uh, underwent radiation yet or surgery yet, um, but they're still doing follow-up. So we don't know, you know, for the patients that may be only 6 to 12 months out from their treatment if they're going to stay in complete remission um, but I think, you know, we don't anticipate a patient who has um, metastatic colon cancer or rectal cancer who's treated with immunotherapy. We don't expect them to have a 100% response rate. We expect maybe a, about a 40% response right. rate. So it's, it's really unbelievable to see that. I think if it holds true for more patients, that would be uh, an awesome change of practice in terms of you know, less toxic treatment, um, you know, the need to maybe, or the, no need to undergo a surgery, which can really affect quality of life for the future, sometimes requiring ostomy bags and, um, you know, major changes in bowel function. So 
Um, yeah, I, what did you think, Rick, when you heard that? I mean, I think it's pretty exciting, and I hope it can be extrapolated to a larger, you know, patient population mm -hmm. in terms of a trial that actually get more numbers. Um, you know, certainly I, I don't think anyone's going to be making, hopefully not, practice-changing decisions based off, you know, 12 patients. But right. it certainly is extremely, extremely promising because it is, if it turns out to be true and, and – and in long-term follow-up, the results hold. Yeah, it, this you know the word gets thrown around a lot, but this really would be a game changer for sure because um, you're you're sparing patients significant procedures and operations and toxicity, and then you've cured them of their rectal cancer. So it's yeah, yeah, it's definitely I think it was the most exciting thing. And I think can you help the listeners understand? You mentioned this is a specific subset of rectal cancer patients. Is this the majority? The minority? What? You know, if you're looking at rectal cancer as a whole, yeah, what what population overall is it? it? It's a minority. I haven't looked at the most recent statistics for um, having microsatellite instability. So that is analogous, or or um, it can be associated with a condition called Lynch syndrome, which is more of an inherited condition, where you have instability of uh, the DNA, and and basically you're not able to repair. Uh, DNA when it gets damaged very well. So um, there's uh, mechanisms to um, fix DNA when there's DNA damage, and these patients don't have the, the um, repair um, proteins there that are, are responsible for helping repair the DNA. And so they're more prone to certain types of cancer, including colon cancer. And this can happen sporadically in, in a cancer, and in, in rectal and colon cancer, it tends to happen but it is in a minority of patients. I think it's roughly 10, 15% of cases. Um, it might even be a little bit less than that. Um, but certainly, you know, for as many patients as we screen, we actually, any new patient um, with a diagnosis of rectal colon cancer gets screened for this. Um, the pathologists usually do the staining. You just do the staining on the tumor cells. And, um, but it is a minority. So when you hear that, oh, this is, you know, immunotherapy that's curing patients without the need for surgery and radiation, it is only a subset of those patients who are eligible for the treatment. Because what we know in the metastatic setting, uh, when, when patients have metastatic disease, is that if you give this treatment to someone who does not have those uh, genetic changes, it doesn't work. It literally does not work. Right. <laughs> so. right. And I mean, I think we've, this is even more pronounced, but even some extent with what we've talked about on previous episodes where you're looking at different lung cancers and other tumors where you stain for what's the percentage of positivity of some of these markers. And that can sometimes be a cutoff to understand, okay, who's really going to benefit from immunotherapy? Who right. needs immunotherapy plus something else? Right. Or who who do we think eh, probably won't benefit from immunotherapy? So I think it's important if, you know, if you're a patient, obviously ask your doctor these things, but also right. understand that, you know, not every treatment necessarily would be the best thing for your cancer, even if it's in the same location in the same type of cancer. Right, right. And I mean, it, it is, uh, I mean, this is kind of precision medicine at its best in terms of identifying a genetic marker, which is, you know, a mutation that you can target potentially. It's, and this isn't a, a drug that targets that mutation, but we know that patients with this uh, genetic change have a better response. And um, for, for example, lung cancer, there's been trials to look at early stage lung cancer and giving 
the same type of immunotherapy to patients, and we see nowhere near that kind of a response rate. I mean, I think trial came out with stage two, uh, I think maybe stage 3A disease, where they gave them uh, preoperative immunotherapy, and the complete response rates were in the 20% range, you know, and so they didn't really select for patients with this mutation or anything like that, but you just look at the difference between the response rates. It's, it's striking. So, um, you know, science can be frustrating because it's such a slow process to figuring out what's the best treatment for patients. But I mean, this, if it holds true for a bigger set of patients is going to be just, uh, um, you know, game changer, like you said. So awesome. How about you, Rick? What about the, uh, radiation oncology? side of things. Yeah, Anything there was, new and exciting? There wasn't a whole lot of radiation specific trials at ASCO. Obviously ASCO is usually a medonc dominated mm-hmm. conference. Uh, but you know, I'll selfishly talk about what I thought was an interesting trial with the lutetium one seventy seven PSMA. Mm-hmm. So this trial was looking at patients who um, have progressed after initial therapy, mm-hmm. uh, metastatic prostate cancer patients and they randomized them those whose tumors were PSMA positive. So not quite the same as what you were just talking about in terms of selecting out based on pathology. Right. But this one, they're actually doing a special scan where they scan to see, does the patient's prostate cancer light up with uh, the PSMA mm-hmm. um, uh, marker? And so we know that those you know, prostate cancer cells express that protein. And so in those patients, they said, well, should we give them chemo or should we give them the lutetium PSMA. Right. And so what they found was that the survival of the patients was the same at about a year and a half to two years. So one drug didn't increase the life expectancy versus the other. But with the PSMA, the quality of life and the side effect rates were dramatically lower than mm-hmm. than, chemo, than additional second line chemotherapy. So it's one of those things where you may not, this may be one where, and I always say it, I sound like a broken record. If you're not improving length of life or quality of life, mm-hmm. what are we doing? Mm-hmm. So this might be one mm-hmm. where you may not be improving length of life, but we're improving quality of life. And For so sure. that's in, in inappropriately selected patients. So, right. um, you know, I think it's the, the big picture way I look at it is it's kind of the slow march of how early in the, in the treatment process can these, um, you know, radio ligand mm-hmm. molecules move. You know, obviously here we have so shameless plug alert here we have a trial open for yeah. newly diagnosed metastatic right. prostate cancer where right. they're trying to move it in the front front line setting we know it works in the last line setting right. now this trial at asco kind of says well maybe it works in the not quite the last line but a little bit ahead of that right. so you know i think it's going to be interesting to see how far it can it can move um before the before we maybe we're doing too much early do you think the degree of PSMA expression matters? I think it's not the degree that matters. I think it's uh, I, my gut tells me it's more of a binary. Okay. Um, like either it, it does or it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And so yeah. the other thing that this trial did was they mandated that the there could be no non PSMA positive lesions. Mm-hmm. So meaning, oh, I got gotcha. you. So they did a regular PET, yeah. and a PSMA PET. Yeah. And so if you had discordant findings those patients were ineligible so that eliminates depending on the study read anywhere from five to fifteen percent of metastatic prostate cancer patients but the vast majority will be predominantly psma expressing yeah um but no it's a it's like precision 
not on the pathological side, but more on the, the radiographic mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, when you look at theranostics as a big umbrella of treatment, I think that's where it's going to go is, yeah. you know, making sure you appropriately select patients based on tumor type, but also based on what are their actual mm-hmm. scan findings showing. Definitely. Yeah, that PSMA trial we have for the upfront, um, you know, patients. And I think so far it's off and running. It's doing well. We have some patients on yeah, it. And, yeah, everyone's you know, got patients on it. excited and... to see the results of it once once we get more people on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, going to be... Uh going to be interesting to see how it pans out but i definitely am cautiously optimistic <laughs> right right but I, I even i notice you know the patients we have on it um because we have the option now we, we can put patients on just you know androgen blockade or we can put them on chemo to start with or we have this trial option which is the psma lutetium treatment with androgen blockade and um i think patients are tolerating it quite well like so, you're you're saying in the what is that was the so second that, or third yeah line? after dosataxel yeah, yeah. failure but before or before cabazitaxel cabazitaxel yeah so uh, yeah I mean patients are tolerating it no matter the line of therapy I think it's yeah. it's a good good option for patients and available I think we're still enrolling yeah we are yeah. we are enrolling we're last I checked when we first started we were like the second site in the country or third now I'm sure there's more but I yeah. think we're still the only ones in this general region. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. Might be the only site with uh, doctors who are part of a podcast. I don't know. Maybe. Probably. Hypothetically. Maybe. Probably, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this Duncan tastes good today. I don't know what it is. It's the, <laughs> it's the cocaine. <laughs> Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Rick and Danny Show. We appreciate your attention and listening to us. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I saw your face and I said, yeah. We appreciate your attention. No, thanks for joining us. Yeah, we appreciate us. your attention. Oh. oh, did you say that? That's yeah. what I said. Okay. Like they actually listened. That's oh, fine. Yeah. I can change it. Okay. No, Doesn't matter. No. Right. <laughs> All right. I'll do the, I'll sure. do the social, social media. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Rick and Danny Show. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us. And you can always catch us on social social media. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of the Rick and Danny Show. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. And you can always check us out on social media. Follow us on Twitter, Rick and Danny Show. Actually, it's Rick Danny Show. I'm sorry, unless Brenna changed this. I didn't change it. So it's Rick Danny Show on Twitter. We're probably going to lose the We're Twitter. Probably going to lose the yeah, Twitter. Twitter's but... going to be migrating to the <laughs> at underscore CSNF. I'll just cut. Yes. I'll just cut it in when I do it. It's fine. And Facebook <laughs> and Instagram, it is Rick and Danny Show, and email us at Rick and Danny Show at gmail.com. Rick, we'll see you next time. Sounds good, man. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.